Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This is Sheila. This is Monica. This is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters to Go. Satellite Sisters, it's the Tuesday show. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. I'm Leanne Dolan in Pasadena, California. I have my sister Julie Dolan with me in Dallas, Texas. Hey, oh wait, you're not in Dallas though today. I'm not Leanne, no, no. I'm heading up Nana Camp in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Okay, how's it going there at Nana Camp? You've got your two grandchildren on board for a month. Uh, how's it going, Camp Counselor? Uh, Camp Counselor, it's going pretty well, Leanne. We've had it. We had a busy first week, you know, we which included the 4th of July, we had fireworks, all of that. But my main issue was my youngest camper, uh, the six-year-old uh, Benjamin, um, he was getting up a little early. Uh, so camp was starting at five o'clock in the morning, which, uh, which I wanted to just curtail. So uh, I put an alarm clock in the room. He told me he could read, he could tell time. Uh, so I said, okay, well, you can't come downstairs until six o'clock. Okay, so next morning, 5.17, he came down. I said, what did your clock say? He said his clock said 6 o'clock. So, uh, so what I did as the head counselor is a, I drew a picture with the big hand on the 12 and the little hand on the 6, Leanne, mm-hmm. and I put it next to the alarm clock. And I said he couldn't come downstairs until they matched up. And that seems to be working pretty well. So I'm pretty proud of myself. <laughs> I I think we have listeners in the millennial generation who don't really know what an alarm clock is, Julie. So, so I've, you still need one to learn how to tell time. You can't just do all digital, right? I mean, he can do. You know, he still has to know how to do what you know the big hand and the little hand, don't you? Yeah, give him a badge. Give him an alarm clock badge there for camp. I think you did it. I think you did it. All right. We have a big show today. Of course, Tuesday is our recap of the latest episode of Pull Dark. We call it Pull Dark and Handsome. And it was quite an episode. So a lot happened. I don't know. Someone on our... Someone on our Facebook page said this slow the show moves so slowly. I'm like, slowly? <laughs> My gosh. This is Quite a few things happened. I know. I things I didn't even see coming happened, Leon. Yeah. So it was an excellent, excellent episode. Um that included some scything. And I I, I, I practice my pronunciation of scything, Leon, because we are going to have an in-depth discussion about that. More. That was such a gratuitous scene. That's all I can say. Okay. <laughs> okay. Also today, we'll discuss uh, international news. We have the economic crisis in Greece. Believe it or not, I'm going to try to talk about that. And uh, Julie has the royal christening, which I, I think we can handle. We have the seven worst email mistakes you can make to get everyone in the office to hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Julie has can some. Can you do that at home, even if you work at home? Leanne? Yes, yes, okay, yes. That's good. So Co-workers. It's, really, it's yeah. news for everyone. It is good. news. News you can use. And then, uh, Julie, you're there in Colorado, where now it is legal to smoke marijuana morning, noon, and night, apparently. Mm-hmm. And you're going to tell us a few things you've observed. I'm going to talk about pot today on uh, Satellite Sisters. <laughs> and uh, I think they call it weed now, but that's okay. They do? Yeah. Oh. The, kids, the kids call it weed. Okay. <laughs> I'm writing that down, Leon. I'll add that into my report. <laughs> and then <laughs> an exciting new segment on the show, I'm calling Cats in the News. <laughs> Something that only you can bring, Leon. Mm. Uh, only. Only me now. Only the new Leon now. <laughs> a cat lover, Leon, can now talk about cats in the news. But first, of course, the big news of the weekend, a great weekend for U.S. women's soccer, for the U.S. women's national team. They just brought it on home, the World Cup. Such an exciting game. Well, you know what? It's fantastic for American audiences when when they score four goals in 16 minutes. <laughs> You know, and that was it was breathtaking. It was I mean, great. It was, I, it was, you know, because again, I'm here at camp, and uh, so we had World Cup on. You know, only a couple of key things are allowed on TV at camp, mm-hmm. and but World Cup was part of it. And I was thinking, I was going to have like, how am I going to keep them? you know, interested for the full 90 minutes and boom, you know, it's like four goals, you know, team USA, we were doing a lot of jumping and cheering right off the bat. Right. It was perfect. Like for American audiences, probably wanted them to score 21 goals, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) but they 
was especially that you know line that goal from midfield was unbelievable <gasps> that so, was incredible line. yeah yeah it's keeper was off her line and there you go carly lloyd so very exciting and you know what's equally as exciting the television ratings i know it may seem like it doesn't matter but when 25 million people tune in it was the most watched sporting women's sporting event and um or a soccer game i guess and you know that's more julie than the nba finals and the stanley cup yeah just to put yay. it in perspective i mean first of all i think it's a lesson to the nba and the stanley cup that their seasons just go on to too long and the series are too long okay maybe you shouldn't still be playing in june but uh, people were excited to see those women on the field crossed a lot of you know crossed a lot of boundaries and that's great fantastic for them and let's get them a ticker tape parade in new york what say you i, I i'm all for it leon i have this theory leon that i think it's women's soccer that is really going to be the tipping point for the United States. And why, you know, when we're really, I mean, I think it's more popular than men's American soccer here. I mean, I, I don't know why that maybe it's more acceptable as a sport for women to be playing than for men or that men feel like, you know, they can watch women's soccer and still watch football. And so they don't have to make a choice between men's football and men's soccer. Do you see where I'm going with this? I think Not really. Soccer- I don't actually. <laughs> <laughs> to be perfectly honest. I'm thinking. <laughs> I don't. It's a really big thought, Lynn. So I think you need to here. work out some more details on that thought. I mean, let's not be. I, I mean, men's soccer is the most popular sport. But in, not in, in America, it isn't. I know, but some I'm of the. Just, I'm just not yet, about- not right now, but some of uh, some stations, it is hugely popular on a day to day basis. So, it, you know, Spanish language stations, there are, there are international teams that get huge domestic you know, viewership here in the United States. So, I mean, that's just the truth. So you're refuting my big point. No, I'm just, I, I'm I saying just here's think the problem. soccer is really, it's, I mean, I think it's people in America are accepting it more than men's soccer. That's all. That's my point, Leon. Well, it does seem like you can rally around it. And I think it, it crosses both. I think you're right. I think you were trying to say that both sexes watch uh, women's <laughs> soccer. Was that? Was that what you were trying to say? I think, yeah, when I'm talking about America, I'm talking about both sexes, Leah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes, I am, Leah. Okay. Men and women. Yeah. Whereas men's soccer probably draws a primarily male audience. Yes. Again, yeah. I don't have TV facts and figures in front of me, but our sister does work for a television network that broadcasts soccer all over the world, including the World Cup. So maybe she could get some facts and figures. But yeah, there's a rallying cry around women's soccer. It's fun for both men and women to watch it. So it brings women to the viewing audience as opposed to maybe watching the Men's World Cup, although that also got good ratings. But so, uh, but it is exciting. But here's the problem. Now it goes away. You know, right. there's, so that's, it was great because we won, <laughs> you know, and we had a great team and there were people on the team, athletes on the team that people really cared about because they've known them for years. But now because there is no, I mean, there's no broad, there is there still a professional league? I don't even know anymore. There was one, there wasn't. It's a, you know, and then I think the other one went to funk. So it's hard to find in between the World Cups and the Olympics. So that's the problem. And what's so surprising is that so many of those women, uh, particularly in other countries, I I think the U.S. team, they do okay. But uh, the women, like the Australian women, they were all like teachers and nurses and, you know, mm-hmm. they all had real jobs. So that's, it, it can't, you know, that that seems to change. That seems to need to change. Don't you think? I think we just need more wor- World Cups. I mean, maybe yeah. that's the answer. <laughs> that's it. Right, because FIFA is such an awesome organization. <laughs> yes. You want you. them more involved. You want yes, them please. not paying the women at all, basically, compared to the male winners more times. So, yeah, it was an exciting moment, though. So let's give those athletes their due and try to support them in any way we can. That's the way I feel about it. Right. Ticker tape parade. I'm, I'm thumbs up on that. Later. Okay. All right. That would be exciting. Uh, all right. Okay. Other internet. It was a, just a big sporting weekend. There was, of course, the Women's World Cup and then the sport of royal watching. Julie. Was it? I mean, I, I did Kate bring it this weekend? Oh my or gosh, what? she was. She, she worked it like a boss, man. She unbelievable <laughs> pushing that giant ancient stroller up that you know rocky pathway in those high heels, high heels, and that tight Alexander McQueen 
perfectly uh, tailored outfit. That outfit. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) She looked amazing. I mean, you know, people were really mean to her before she became became, uh, the Duchess. And, you know, she has done more for this royal family that I, I we just can't speak enough about it no. so um so it was it was an excellent christening uh from start to finish Lee. and uh kate certainly i she won the day there's yeah. no doubt about it yeah. she won the day now pippa showed up in this in another white outfit Leanne. they must have coordinated that though yeah, don't you think so yeah I mean, as, that as sisters funny. would do yeah because i don't think yeah i think they must i'm sure Pippa does not show up at any event where her sister Kate is without going, what are you wearing? Yes. I mean, I mean we're on. not a royal family and we do that. <laughs> right. so most sisters do when they're just like, but we're not that nice about it. Like usually you buzz in very early with some, I'm wearing gray, yeah. I'm wearing plum, back away from those colors. That's true. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. you do that. So as well as Kate's mother, Carol, was also in, in beige. Yes. So, you know, in the British papers, they were referring to them as the Magnolia Middletons. <laughs> and then, I mean, they were criticizing the, the Kate, Pippa, and Carol because they wear so much white and beige. Really? Yes, as opposed to that powder blue that Camilla had on? I okay. Mean- Camilla looked like... Do you know the Japanese pop rock group Lady Baby, Leanne? I want you to look it up because I think Camilla took her and stole one of Lady Baby's outfits. Oh, I'm- I thought she looked like Grandma Smurf. So. <laughs> so I am looking up Lady Baby right now. So. Oh. So, but Grandma Smurf possible. And you know, the, there's been a lot of press that Camilla has really been working on her looks. She's got a new hairdo. She's been going to a new facialist. She's, and she, I mean, that was the worst. That was just, uh, well, you know how I feel about Camilla. Yeah. To begin with. Okay. So, yes. yes. And I love the 50 year old stroller. Okay. That, um, again, which would not, when I saw that stroller and her was 50 years old, I said, that would not be possible in most households no. and certainly not in the Dolan family. I mean, because with eight kids, we destroyed the stroller. Right. I mean, there would be, there would just be things in the stroller that you wouldn't want to put it for a new baby in, right? So, but that thing looked great. Uh, and what about the nanny? Did you enjoy the nanny's outfit that there? Outfit. You got to get one of those. Urban Nana's got to do like an urban version of that. Yes, yeah, so that apparently that is the uniform from nanny school that, uh, <laughs> that she went to. With that like weird hat and that just incredibly unattractive color. Nobody would look good in that shade of brown. Uh, and I think that is on purpose, that that's you want. You, don't know, you do not want an attractive nanny in the household. And so you put, you put them in that outfit. And even if you're a supermodel, okay, you're going to look bad in that outfit, right, Lee? That's true. <laughs> and then, you know, I am enjoying this George dressing like William. You are uh, okay. trope. Yeah, I like it. I mean, okay. I think that's very cute. I like just a just a touch of throwback, a, a nod to Diana. I like it a lot. Okay, I think okay. that's very cute. So and he's uh, adorable. He's yeah, got a cute little face yeah. doing cute little things. Yeah, uh, it's all good. And I just hope he doesn't turn into a horrible prince. That's it. So <laughs> it must be very confusing to have to explain to a toddler why thousands of people are applauding and taking your picture. You right. know, I mean, at some point you must understand who you are a little bit, but yeah. not at two. So that's why his faces are so great. Like he's looking at people like, who are you people? He's very cute. <laughs> yes. Now, what do you think of the five godparents? I was I was uh, mulling this over whether you know whether that is a benefit to a child to have multiple godparents. So if you got a god, you know, like a loser godparent, you know, it's still you still have backup godparents that will step in and be there for you, or is it just too many? I think it's okay if you're royalty because that's it's sort of like a royal favor, right? It's kind yes. of like creating yeah. a royal alliance. <laughs> I don't think our offspring need five godparents. <laughs> So, because they're not going to, like, get Belgium when they grow up. So, 
<laughs> Very good point. Leah. Yeah. Very good point. Okay. So this is not a trend that we'd like to see no. uh, brought, uh, brought across. No, it just seems, gre- it seems greedy when you're a commoner or as yeah. they said in Poldark, a vulgar. So, <laughs> okay. So we'll be sticking, we'll be sticking with the one, one yeah. uh, godparent. Okay. That's good. And I love, what about the four-year-old cake? Having some of the wedding cake at the christening. Oh, that's... I missed that detail. Oh, yes, oh. Leanne. That okay. apparently is something that you do. You you know, that you save your wedding cake. Of course, they had an eight-tier wedding cake, so they had plenty to go around. And you save some, and you serve it at the christening of your of your children. Mm, I bet Camilla was first in line for that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that blue. I don't... <laughs> Just... I mean, have you seen Lady Baby? Have you seen that Japanese No, bottle? I can't. It's not coming up for oh, me. It's man. not I... Lady... It's a one word? Yeah, lady baby, one okay. word. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> okay. 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 Well, we'll, we'll be checking on that. But uh, so, you know, that was all positive. Things not so positive in Greece, Leanne. What do you think? Now, you you did your junior year abroad. You know, I so I think this is the time we go to the experts, in-house experts here <laughs> at the Satellite Sisters, looking around among the sisters. Who is the most capable of commenting on Greece? Leon, junior year abroad, 100 yes. years ago. What's your take, Leon? It's true. It was about 100 years ago, and I was a classics major, not an economics major. But I remember Greece as a place for very cheap beer, is what I <laughs> – and lodging. So it was a fantastic place to spend your junior year. But I also remember it as a place where there were protests pretty much every day of the week over something. Like they are just a culture that likes to take to the streets and fly their flags and protest. I mean, there were plenty of protests when I was there in the 80s. You know, here's what's happening. I'm not going to try to explain the Eurozone, mainly because every time I hear that term, it sounds like a theme restaurant to me. (laughs) (laughs) But from from what I understand, the Greeks are just tired of, uh, you know, the Eurozone, mainly Angela Merkel, who they're blaming solidly, and the other, the German, uh, you know, financial head there. Um, they're blaming them for the austerity measures, for squeezing the Greek economy, making them cut social services, cut all these things. Their unemployment rate has risen to 25%. Uh, you know, they put in all these measures, and the Greeks rejected more austerity measures on Sunday. And you know what, Julie? I'm married to a German, and we've had some financial austerity measures. But in yes. a place, they're hard. <laughs> They're hard that's to good, do. Leanne, I, that's good for you to bring the personal perspective. Yes. <laughs> you just, so you can, you, you side with the Greeks. Yeah. The I mean, if you, I don't, would... you don't find this irresponsible. They, I mean, given that they ran up the debt to begin with. No. Well, they ran up. Yes, they did run up the debt to begin with. Uh, and, um, but whatever had they've tried to do, apparently the Europeans, it's not working that great because their unemployment rate has, has really arisen. And then they lied about their debt levels too, which was, yeah. you know, to get into the Euro uh, zone to begin with. But that's all, you know, water under the bridge. (laughs) Well, I read uh, this quote today by this pensioner, and I actually wanted to ask your opinion, because um, you seem to know more things about this than I do. Oh, I thought it was because I was close to being a pensioner. Okay. No, no. No, no, Julie. No, no. Okay. Uh, And uh, no, you're in Greece, you would be a full pensioner, because they don't, they only work to like 40, 52 or something, right? Isn't that one of the other issues? Is that everyone goes on a pension at 55 or something. Uh, So here's what the pensioner said. I don't know who's behind it all. The Germans, the Russians, the Americans, who knows, but someone is doing this to us. (laughs) Okay. Is it the Americans, Julie? I don't think it's our fault. Is that your position? I think you're right, Liam. First of all, that he, you notice that he does not assume that it's no one in Greece is responsible for the mess in Greece. Somebody else's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. It, it's these major powers working against them. And it's very easy to b- blame things on the U.S. But no, Leon, I don't think we're behind this. Okay. No. I mean, I mean we did have remember. a recession, Leon. We did have a giant recession that yeah. had worldwide uh, impact. But uh, no, we, no, Greece was, they were making their own trouble and, you know, trying to cover up their troubles uh, you know, well before our recession. So, uh, so no, I would say the Americans, this is not our fault. Okay. But- well, let us remember, this is the country that gave us democracy and feta cheese. So okay. those two things alone. Excellent. 
All right. So, so that is the basis of your bailout for yes. Is the, it's the feta cheese bailout? Okay. <laughs> Save the feta, I think it's. Yeah. Well, Leanne, you know, you know what? Your point of view, is it's probably more valid because I see that the um, prime minister of Greece showed up for talks about this and he has no new plan. At least you have a plan. You have a name for your plan, Leanne. <laughs> the feta plan, okay? Feta cheese plan, okay? So that's more than the prime minister came, uh, came, came to the discussions with. So there you go. So. But I think it will be, you know, I'm sure it will just be a continuing crisis, you know, and that they're going to have to work something out. I mean, the problem with Greece is they are they have borrowed so much money that actually you have to pay attention to it because it's the debt is so large. You know, you know, you can sort of you can't you can't offset it by just upping the feta cheese production. (laughs) No, Lynn. All right. <laughs> Although it's a very intriguing idea, Leanne. Okay. Very intriguing idea. <laughs> Get all those unemployed people out there making feta cheese. And okay, just... so it's not so we've eliminated the Rush, uh, the United States. So do you think it's either the Russians or the Germans that are behind all the misery in Greece? <laughs> Julie, I can't answer that. <laughs> I mean, I really can't answer that. I don't know. All I'm saying is I have experienced German austerity measures, and they're very hard. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. okay, keep that in mind, folks. Mm-hmm. All right, well, Lee and I, we want to turn to a more local story now, uh, which is a story that's uh, big here in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, because, you know, in Colorado, they passed a new law starting at the beginning of the year about pot, which is pot is legal here. Uh, uh, I don't know the specifics, but there seems to be a lot of it around. That's all I can tell. <laughs> that's well beyond medical use. And, you know, I... I think if you're in pain and you need uh, pot for pain, you should have that. I, I mean, that is not my point. But I, I have some thoughts on pot, Leanne, uh, uh, or grass, or what am I supposed to call it? Weed, now? Julie, weed. weed. Okay. okay. <laughs> I have some thoughts. I can't say that. Leanne. I know you can't. I, I cannot know. even say that. I, I just am going to call it pot. First of all, my first thought is I'm very suspicious of a lot of people now, Leanne, uh, just around town here in Steamboat. <laughs> There is this sort of having way too much fun element that I tend to notice. I mean, for example, in the 4th of July parade, a nice hometown parade, lots of little, you know, local groups, dogs, horses, you know, farming equipment. It was it was an excellent 4th of July parade. But there was one group that was um, that was saving or protecting the crane, uh, the, the bird, the crane, mm-hmm. crane bird. And they were it was a group. <laughs> I just wanted to, I didn't want, I yes, to versus an actual crowd, I guess. Great. Okay. You see, we could, because we have some of those here too. So this was a group of people, mostly in their sixties in age, they were all dressed in crane costumes mm-hmm. and they were dancing really hard to Freebird. That was the music. <laughs> wow. And yeah. I was just, I was suspicious of this group. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if we have any cranes that need saving in Steamboat or whether this is just something else if it's the pot okay (laughs) my second thing is that one of the things that i read in the paper here that's up for consideration is that they want to somehow create a space in bars in town here to have separate pot lounges or grass lounges or whatever you want to call them where Mm -hmm. uh, rooms where you're going to be able to uh smoke marijuana Mm -hmm. so that you and I just don't even get this. I mean, we have spent years, you right. know, making sure that you can't smoke cigarettes in bar bars. So now it's going to be okay to smoke pot in bars. I don't. I don't get that. I don't get, I don't that, get that either. Because it actually has been proven that it also is much much better for the health of the people who work in the restaurants and stuff. Like there are clear benefits to not smoking in in closed spaces. So I'm with you on that one, Jill. But totally see, but you. the argument in favor of it is, you know, that that they, you know, that people who oh. use marijuana want to say, hey, it's exactly the same right. as you know having a cocktail. Uh, so they they want equal access. Okay. Well, it's so not because you blowing smoke, but right. I, I understand that's that that's the point they're making. Yeah. Okay. Good. I don't get that. No, I, I I might have to boycott that. Put on a crane a crane <laughs> yeah. outfit. Yeah. And st- start dancing in front of the bars. I don't know. And then the third thing. Oh, this is in the do you think department. 
This was the headline in uh, the Steamboat Pilot uh, yesterday was that moms shouldn't use pot. That was a big, <laughs> big announcement that if you're a pregnant woman or wow. a breastfeeding mother, that there is no safe level of pot, that there's no safe level of the, the you know, the ingredient, the THC mm-hmm. that's found in pot that's suitable for pregnant women or for infants and that they, you know, it's very dangerous for the brain development of the, you know, of the unborn child or the newborn child. So no, moms shouldn't be smoking pot. But they have to put out this as a headline. The American Cong- uh, Congress of, um, of OBGYN people had to come out and make a very strong statement because, because pot is so accepted. Well, it's legal, yeah. That's it's right. Legal. It's right. So they have to do the same with alcohol. Yeah. Now they have yes. to put those warnings up and everything like that. Right. Well, it seems like good advice. <laughs> yes. Yes. But do you sense, Leanne, that I, I'm just not totally on the bandwagon? I can see that. Yeah. I, I see no, that I, I, I share yeah, your but... concerns. I share, I share your concerns. It is a concern when you're looking at colleges and things like that. Like, yeah. oh, do you really want your kid going to college in a state where it's legal now? And it's almost more like, I just don't want everybody else at his college to be stoned. <laughs> I mean, I think kids so, at all colleges have access right, to it, they but do. obviously it's, they much, do. it's much easier. Right. Um, and as part of my research, yeah. and you know, this is hard to believe that we do do research for these podcasts. <laughs> I did look up, I just like where you can buy pot in, in uh, Steamboat Springs. Yeah. Now that's part of And you of probably my- didn't find any because no one calls it pot, did you? <laughs> I did have to. Yeah. Yeah. No, I did find it. Okay. I did. did, That's it's apparently that it's, it's an ancient word, but it's still used on occasion, you know, (laughs) uh, for, for it. But now that's part of my search history, which I'm really sort of, (laughs) I'm worried about that. uh, that, They're going to revoke your Nana license. Yes. Yes. That's really, they're going to close down summer camp at any moment. In yeah, fact, yeah. I had my notes out on the kitchen counter and Alice, the eight-year-old, started yeah. to read them. And my headline mm-hmm. was, let's talk about pot. And I decided that uh, she shouldn't be reading my notes. She wanted to read my book report uh, for the podcast. <laughs> All right. So I'm not happy about it. I don't like the direction that this is going in. and But I'm going to keep you posted on it. Later. Okay. Good. All right. Well, here I found a funny story on Pure Wow, that newsletter that goes out from Wow Wow. And it just caught my eye. It's called The Seven Worst Sins of Email. And it's how to basically how to get all the people in your office to hate your guts. Okay. <laughs> your colleagues and stuff when you do this with email. Okay. And I just so many of these are my issues that I just needed to spread the word. So okay. if we okay. can change I... one person's bad email habits, I feel my work here is done today. Okay, Liam. All right. Okay. I have a pad and pen, uh, uh, and pen, Liam, so I thought I'd take notes. Go Write ahead. it down because this is one of my least favorite. Forwarding an epic email chain with the note to see below. Okay? According to Pure <laughs> Wow, that makes us all want to scream. Okay? Do us a favor. Just sum up the change. A chain says and what you need from the person. For instance, Sherry and Phil think Ned should rerun the widget report. Do you think so? Let us know before 4 p.m., right? Have you gotten those giant chain emails? And right. But oh, I just can't stand it. Yeah, those are they're very difficult to read. It no is. No wonder there's so much miscommunication um, in, in so many situations because it takes you so long and it's very difficult to, to follow. Uh, I find it difficult to follow the whole thread all the way through. Yeah. yeah. I agree. All right. Here's another one. And I think this is because people do so much work on their phones now and their tiny screens. You only answer one of your colleagues, three pressing questions, but ignore the (laughs) other two. Guilty. Guilty. I do that, Leanne. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me nuts. Like, can I take Thursday off? Do you need the marketing minutes? Can I pick you up anything from the cafeteria? And you just respond, turkey sandwich. You know, that's (laughs) what? I I don't understand that. Okay. Uh, how about this? Removing a key person from the CC field, right? You just hit reply instead of reply all, which means like the person's assistant who actually does the work doesn't get to see it. That just makes me cry. And then somebody has to forward it. Just is if it's not a hundred people, just reply all. That's that's what I would say. Okay, There's a then, lot of politics involved with you know the CC list, the uh, the BCC list, and 
Yeah, that's, yeah, that's really a power play there, Leanne. Who it, gets, yeah. It is, because the next one is adding everyone's boss to the CC field. Uh, like, yeah. that's passive aggressive. What's that yes. about? Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> you just don't kick it upstairs. If it doesn't need to be kicked upstairs, don't kick it up. All right. Replying all is, you know, unless you're the CEO, you can, you can mail it out to 500 people. But when they write happy holiday, you don't need to respond. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> or be sure not to send that to Leon Dolan. <laughs> all right. Here is my biggest pet peeve. All right. Okay. Sending an ambiguous subject line. I do not understand why people leave it blank or question mark or, um, or let me I don't, or if it becomes a chain email, not updating the subject line. So someone finds an email from three months ago and they just, you know, use it to, I just like use the subject line to say something that is helpful to the person receiving the email. (laughs) So I guess what you're saying is that people need to be a little more mindful, Leanne. They need to really think before they write or think before they send. Yes. Yes. Be helpful. Like it's just because... I get it. You know, we all get a million emails and I try actually kind of save and file emails and I put them in folders to help me manage emails. I get a lot of emails that I have to save about speaking engagements and this and that, like I need it to help me organize. So if you're just using talk as the subject, that doesn't help me or book. I get a lot. Okay. That's not helpful. (laughs) Okay. It's not helpful. All right. And then finally, this one, this makes me nuts. Adding a JPEG to your signature. You know, when people add like the company logo, what, yeah. who cares? You don't, <laughs> and then it like takes a while to come through and then it looks like there's an attachment. And so you download it. And it's just the company logo. I hate that. <laughs> All right, people listen up. You're sending Lee and Dolan an email. You better, you better have your act together. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I think these are good tips. Mm-hmm. I thought it would be funnier, but actually I believe in all of these. So there you have it. <laughs> there seems to be just a hint of hostility uh, to your voice, Lee, but that's okay. That's okay. No, they're, they're very useful. They really are. Right. Not- just a little, right. Just the, just think a little bit more before sending out stuff. Um, okay. All right. Now we're on to cats in the news and, uh, <laughs> How did we get here, Leah? Here's how we, we got here. So, you know, we have the cat that's been in the backyard, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for like two months now. And I made some progress with the cat. We've made progress uh, that I'm now feeding the cat. People said, once you start feeding the cat, the cat becomes yours cat. So uh, people in that, but people at our Satellite Sisters Facebook page, uh, please join us over there. A lot of new members every week. It's really fun to have new people there. So cat experts said, you know, once you start feeding it, it's yours. And it looked hungry, so I fed it. And now apparently it's mine. All right, I've got to tell you, Julie, this cat is doing the job. So then I noticed last the, a week ago, the cat started sleeping on our wooden fence. Okay. Okay. So, you know, that little round window in my kitchen that over Mm -hmm. the food prep six. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, I looked out the window one morning at 5 a.m. when I got up and there's the cat just looking at me. It's sleeping on the fence. You know, it's kind of a wide wooden fence. And I was like, that's fantastic. I thought that was pretty cute. And he just stayed there all morning. He wasn't scared or anything. He just stayed there. But here's the best part about this, Julie. That fence served as a highway for the squirrels in my neighborhood to get from the front to the back of my house where they would then just steal all my food. They'd steal my avocados, my pomegranates. They ate every plum off my tree this year. Yeah. Tomatoes, whatever they could get those greedy little paws on, those squirrels were stealing. And then I'd be standing at that sink and I'd see the squirrels run by the fence at eye level with like an entire avocado in their paws. It would make me crazy that they were stealing all my food. This cat, by sleeping on the fence, has shut down the squirrel superhighway. Just shut it down, Julie. I mean, squirrels are terrified of the cat. It's fantastic. All right. Well, this this cat has has some smarts there. I know. You saw, you know, sort of where... You know, he's really got the finger in the dike, you know, just yeah. holding it all together for you. Okay, good. So the cat did breach the perimeter this morning. My husband went for a run at like 4.30 in the morning and left like the back door open a jar. And he came in and the cat was in the laundry room. So the cat oh, is now oh, oh, breached, breached oh, the perimeter. Lynn. 
So, so next week the cat will be sleeping on your pillow. No, again, pillow. I am allergic. So there's know, only I so know. far I can go with this cat and I'm not, you know, but I'm, I'm happy. It's a mutually beneficial relationship. So this is why I was attracted to this story in the LA times with the headline cats rescued from shelters are hired for rodent patrol. All right. Here is somebody who saw a need and filled it with some cats. Mm-hmm. And I'm. <laughs> I appreciate that. Okay. There was a woman, Melia Kaplan. Okay. She worked at the LA flower market. So that's a big, you know, wholesaler market down there in Los Angeles. She's worked there for 15 years and not surprisingly, they had a rodent problem. Okay. They had a hard time with the rats. There were a lot of rats and the rats were eating the flowers. So she decided, you know, I wonder if we could just get some cats and that would do the job. So they went, she went to LA County animal services and she got the meanest cats she could find. (laughs) That's what I like about this. She didn't get nice little kittens. She, she recruited, she got Tom cats. She got this tough group of cats, uh, that couldn't be placed in homes. They had hard scrabble, like street qualities and she got them and she names them things like De Niro and Pacino. I thought you were going to say the Bloods and the Crips here. <laughs> and they patrol the flower market and they have completely shut down the rodent population. And so she created a nonprofit called Working Cats, where she does this now for other organizations outside of the flower market. Like if you have any kind of private business, a police station, a school, uh, you can come to her organization and they'll find you these tough street cats. (laughs) They've placed 500 cats in 50 locations over the last 15 years. And I think that's fantastic because these are cats that would have had, as they say, a hard life on the street, but yeah. they totally shut down the rodents. Like rats are smart and they even smell a cat. They won't go near it. And so if they lose a cat or two, if a cat dies, they notice like the populate, the rat population comes back and then boom, they get another cat in there and it's done. And I see that with the squirrels. The squirrels are terrified in my backyard. <laughs> I have had German Shepherds for 20 years. They did nothing with those squirrels. Cat, one week. <laughs> squirrels, shut down. You are, you're transformed, Lynn. You are transformed. So, so a cat in every household, is that our new, uh, is that our new position? I just platform? think this is a good idea. It's better than, you know, spraying a lot of toxic exterminators uh, okay. and stuff. Okay, I agree with that, Lynn. Yeah, you're giving that. the cats a job. And some cats, that's what they're bred for. So they ran the story in the LA Times and then uh, a knowledgeable letter writer wrote in, and I did not know this, Julie, let's go to Cats in Ancient History for 500, Alex, because uh, <laughs> apparently one of the reasons cats are so revered in the Japanese culture, and you see those money kitties in Japanese mm-hmm. uh, stores, is because they credit cats with saving the silk trade in Japan. That again, they were having, you know, hundreds of years ago, they were having trouble with rodents eating their silk. Uh So they put rats or they put cats in the silk houses and that took care of the rodent problem. So that is why cats are so revered in Japanese culture. So there there you go, Julie. Cats in the news and cats in history. Thank you very much. Well, well, very fine report. And I wish you luck. Continued success. With your cat. But next week, that cat's going to be in your bed. I know, Leanne, because you're no. such a softy. You're going to let him, you know, it's going to get cold or it's going to get a little rainy. And he's going to be out by looking you in. He's going to be all drenched and wet. You're going to take him in. I, I am sorry. I am surprised he breached the perimeter today. <laughs> Why? That's where the food is. He's I, a cat. I know, but he doesn't, like, he runs away. Like, the minute we, I happen upon him outside in the yard or something, he's gone. Like, there's yeah. not any been any attempt to come to me. He's only attempted to get away from me. Yeah. So my husband said he was terrified when Barrick walked into the uh, <laughs> laundry room today. <laughs> okay. All right. We need to do a follow-up. Uh, several weekends ago, Liz told everybody that our lovely niece, Megan, was basically in labor. Now, <laughs> Liz what. Was totally wrong. Misinformation. (laughs) A fountain of misinformation. Nowhere, nowhere close to being in. No. So I, several uh, astute listeners said, you know, what's happened? Oh my God, is everything okay with Megan? She has not been in labor for two and a half weeks. We can tell you that. Uh, The baby did finally come. Megan had a little girl, which actually really surprised me. Did it surprise you, Julie? I thought for sure she was going to have a boy. No, I'm, I, I thought it was 50-50, Leanne. Okay. You know, that's what I thought. 
We didn't, no one knew, no one knew the baby sex, but mother and child are doing well. Uh, the baby is named after her grandmother. It's a lovely, lovely story. Her grandmother is still, her maternal grandmother is 90 years old. Her, her name is Philomena. So the baby's name is Philomena and they're going to call her Mina, which is just so cute. And there was that great photo uh, right after Megan gave birth to little Mina of four generations of women. That really choked me up, didn't it? Yeah. That was lovely. And I just, Mina, doesn't it sound like the name of a World Cup soccer star? Yes, that is. That is. I'm surprised the baby actually's name didn't get changed to Carly this weekend because Megan was a soccer player all, all her life and in college. And she and her husband are very sporty. And I know that right. was pretty much Megan's goal before the baby was born. Mm-hmm. But so I just think we're all set now. Just you be, be on the lookout for Mina. She'll, she'll be coming up soon. Yeah. So, uh, so thank you to those who inquired. She was not in labor for three weeks. As soon as Liz said that, I'm like, I you know, know it's Liz risky to. That is just a topic she should stay away from. Okay. <laughs> All right. We are going to take a short break here. And when we return, we are going to have Paul Dark and Handsome, our weekly recap of the PBS show, Paul Dark. You are listening to Satellite Sisters. So glad to have you here. I'm Leanne Dolan. I'm here with my sister, Julie Dolan. And this is our weekly recap of Poldark, the PBS series uh, that we are enjoying. We call this Dark and Handsome. If you are a new listener, we'd like to welcome you. Uh, we do a regular show, Satellite Sisters. You can find hundreds of episodes on iTunes. You can find them at our website, SatelliteSisters.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, Satellite Sisters. There's a group and there's also a page. Uh, but today, Paul Dorks, we have a lot to talk about, don't we, Joel? This series is really great because so much happens each episode, Leanne. I mean, it really moves along, along and there are like major developments, uh, things that you don't even see coming or don't think that they're going to, ha- you know, can't possibly happen in one episode happen in one episode. So it was a good one, Liam. Yes. Okay. Now this originally was broadcast on the BBC uh, in London or in Great Britain. And apparently they've done some editing, Julie. Did you know that for the American version? Yeah. So I try not to torture myself thinking about the scenes that might have been cut, but... um, (laughs) You're Just thinking there were some scenes this week that might have been cut out? Thinking there was some heaving that might have been heaving. Oh. Heaving. I think that's. We had scything, but well, we, if you think there might have been some heaving. I think too. there was okay. heaving cut out. Uh, okay. okay. Right. Good point, Liam. <laughs> okay, so episodes, episode three starts. Uh, Paul Dark, Ross Paul Dark, our hero. He's returned from the Revolutionary War. He's reviving his family's estate there in Cornwall. He's decided to reopen the mine that's been closed for 20 years so he can serve his people well and get them fully employed. Uh, It's a risk. He took on some investors. But Julie, guess what? There's copper in them there mines. (laughs) They were the happiest group of miners I've seen since the Seven Dwarfs. I I mean, honestly... It's mining, which is like, you know, on any, any chart, it's always the world's worst job is to be a miner. There were, there was, that was, they were, you know, just such happy miners going down in there. So uh, good luck to them. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the good news. Paul Dark's business appears to be going well. On the other side, his relationships with his family seem to be deteriorating. He has the uncle who wants to shut him out. He's got his cousin, Francis, who has no discernible skills. Right. He is really... He's a loser. He's just a loser, isn't he? (laughs) He's just like Big L on his forehead. Uh But somehow Francis uh, managed to marry the beautiful Elizabeth, who was Paul Dark's Dark's love, the love of his life, before he went off to fight the American Revolution. And he comes back to find out she's engaged to the loser, Francis. Mm -hmm. And uh, even though he nearly loses his life, in a stupid duel, uh, Francis manages to knock up Elizabeth, and now she goes into labor in this particular, like, we've jumped ahead in the storyline, nine months, we found out, <laughs> episode two, she was pregnant, episode three, she's giving birth, and Julie, um, when she went into labor, well, she's the most beautiful, like, person I've ever seen, Elizabeth, Yes. <laughs> yes. and, like, 
when she went into labor, this is what it sounded like. Oh, oh, <laughs> right? Leanne, those are excellent sound effects. Oh, I know. And how about that OBGYN? Were, were the, do you see those giant forceps that he brought the, into the room? The mantle reticulator? Up? Yeah. That's I mean. those things. But yes, it it was, uh, yeah, it wasn't like Outlander, Leanne. No. It was not that... like Outlander where we, uh, we had a, a completely different birth scene. This right. was, there. do it again, Leanne. Do it again. The oh. Sound of Labor. By Elizabeth. Oh, oh. I okay. Mean, it sounded like a dainty sneeze. And then, excuse me, I've got to give birth now. I mean, it was just crazy. <laughs> Do you remember that movie where Jeremy Irons played that evil twin gynecologist and he <laughs> developed that speculum he called the mantle reticulator? No, Leon, oh. I don't. Okay. okay. That's good. <laughs> Well, that's what that instrument looked like, yeah. the mantle ridicul- reticulator. Okay. So Elizabeth uh, Elizabeth gives birth uh, and manages to still look beautiful, but that does nothing to assuage her loser husband, Francis, who's still incredibly uh, jealous of Paul Dark mm-hmm. and really very clumsy lover, wouldn't you say? Like, Yeah. He's, he's he, again, big Ellie and a real loser lover there. There's nothing, you know, uh, you can understand why Elizabeth sort of recoils when, uh, when he shows up. I mean, it is, he just, you know, there's nothing there. I don't know what, uh, why, I mean, I guess he had money. So that's, and her, her mother forced her to marry him, but it's, it's a sad situation. Yeah. All right. Now back at the Poldark estate, uh, the mining is going well, but the farm's still got to be run. And right. Poldark employs uh, this couple. We just call them Mr. and Mrs. Drunk. And, <laughs> and they're living up to that title, Leon. I, I mean, you, you named them because every scene this episode, they are just stinking drunk. Not exactly Carson. Like, not exactly. no. no. Yeah, I was like, this is the easiest gig, uh, acting gig on television, because they just have their head on wooden tables the entire episode. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, Mr. and Mrs. Drunk are drunk, and one of Mrs. Drunk um, breaks her arm or, you know, uh, and she can't work. So it's Demelza to the rescue. And Demelza is the young peasant girl that Ross Poldark has rescued. She washes her hair. She's a beautiful young woman. Rumors are rampant that, you know, he's keeping her around for something other than polishing the pewter. And now we have Demelza in full bloom, right, Julie? She cooks, she cleans, she pours brandy. She's Martha Stewart. (laughs) Demelza, supermodel, has become Martha Stewart. Did you see that? uh, Did you see that puff pastry she pulled out there for... for Ross Poldark to eat, it was, it looked really, you know, beautiful. So yes, she does it all and she becomes more glorious in every scene. Leah. That's right. There's, there's a scene where she is like, like single-handedly scything all the fields and planting everything. And mm-hmm. she looks unbelievable. There's a wedding in this episode and she's dancing and drinking and it's all happening in slow motion. And let's face it, Julie, these peasants are having a lot more fun than the people in the big house, aren't they? Right. I mean, that sip and see, you know, that's when they showed the uh, the new baby, Elizabeth's yeah. baby, Jeffrey <laughs> Charles Poldark, or as we call it in the South, the sip and see, you know, when you have a big party mm-hmm. to show off the baby. I mean, everybody there was just, you know, no fun whatsoever, but the peasants, you know, the, uh, they're, they're having a great time, Liam. Yes, it's clear in this episode with scenes like the Sip and See that the writers are setting up the big class difference because we yes. had several references to that, including, uh, you know, one snobby lady at the Sip and See who said that she believed in keeping the gentry away from the vulgars. <laughs> the vulgars. <laughs> it's such an Eastern. And, you know, they're probably still saying that now. I know. British homes. You know? Camilla. I'm sure Camilla is saying that. Julie, <laughs> let's face it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty easy to see uh, when you look at the, the British gentry as they're portrayed in this, why they totally didn't get the American Revolution, you know? <laughs> right. They are just... Exactly, Lynn. That's a good point. Yeah. 
They it's very clear why they didn't get that. But in the meantime, Demelza is doing a little prowling around in uh, Poldark's cottage, which has gotten so adorable, hasn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. she has really decorated that place and whipped it into shape. It looks very charming and very cozy. And she gets a chance to go into his room. And she does, I think, what women all over the U.S. want to do. She touches his linen shirts. <laughs> Just... Rubs her hand over the linen shirts. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And then, then she finds this mysterious blue silk dress in his, uh, in his drawers. And, uh, was it blue? Cause on my TV, it was greenish land, but (laughs) something wrong with my TV. It was like a blue green, green, like a blue green. Okay. Okay. Cause I thought it was definitely more green than blue, but go ahead. Well, all you need to know, Julie, is it was the perfect color for Demelza to show off her red hair and her skin. And it kind of becomes her undoing later on in the show, but Mm -hmm. she is intrigued by this blue dress, blue green dress. She's emboldened by it. Wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and of course it, all kinds of questions uh, swirl as to, why does uh, Ross Poldark have this dress in his chest? And yeah. who was it intended for? Yeah. Yeah. All right. In the meantime, there's a second storyline happening where young Jim, who uh, is in charge of his mom and four daughters and now appears to have gotten a young, another, a young village girl pregnant. Young Jim has turned to poaching and Poldark has said, knock it off. Don't poach anymore. Marry this girl. Here's a house. Get your act together. And he plans on giving Jim a, uh, a big job at the mine. But of course, you know, you know, like telegraphed a mile away, uh, he swears to his pregnant wife, don't worry, I won't be poaching anymore after tonight. And then, <laughs> then he gets he gets arrested that night yes. and thrown in a terrible jail and has to go to court where we see Poldark spring into action as man of the people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he gives an impassioned speech, Leon, uh, to a judge that is particularly cruel and uh, and unsympathetic uh, to to the lower classes, to the vulgars, right? And that judge, Julie, just as an aside, the actor who was the judge was the original Poldark in the original BBC, <gasps> the original PBS production of Poldark in the 70s. So there you go. Okay. I did a touch of research. Touch okay. of research. We don't like to look at a lot of no. other um, r- uh, reports on Poldark so that we can bring you fresh, <laughs> our fresh opinions. Yes. Unfiltered. I mean, mainly I was just looking for pictures of Poldark. Then I came across that. I don't want to. Okay. But all I can say is Poldark gives his big speech and contempt is sexy because he is really contemptuous of the court and their ruling to throw Jim in prison for two years. But let's face it. He looked great, didn't he? He did, Liam. He did. All right. So he decides, and we are grateful for this, after, uh, after Jim is thrown in jail for two years and he has to go tell, you know, Jim's... Uh, the girl who he got pregnant, who now has a baby, he won't be home for two years. He feels terrible. He decides to work it all out in the fields, doesn't he, Julie? <laughs> Again, the most gratuitous scene I've ever seen. I mean, there was no, there really, there was no point to it, but it worked magnificently, Liam, because because Poldark takes his shirt off. Okay, and it's breathtaking. Uh, there's no, you know, and he is working the fields. He is scything and scything and scything in slow motion. They actually slowed it down. Yes. It's slow motion. That's really, I, I almost logged on to farmers after that. <laughs> Just oh, saying. Oh. <laughs> okay. so. you're, you're rethinking this urban living land. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Okay. All right. Okay. So, uh, we definitely but he's also, he also consoles himself. Ross has, has gone to the local pub, uh, to, you know, to have a couple of shots there. Um, and, and his, uh, you know, friendly prostitute comes over, but Ross Poldark wants no part of that. Right. 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 And so, but who does he see hanging around with the prostitute land? The he big sees loser. Francis the loser. Yeah. yeah. So Elizabeth's at home with the new baby. She's yeah. rejected him. She's rejected his clumsy advances uh, to get back in her bed. He turns, the loser turns to the prostitute. Ross sees that. And then he goes home and what does he see, Jewel? He sees. He, he sees, sees Demelza. Demelza. Yeah, Demelza in that magnificent dress, whatever color it is. Uh, and please let us know what color you saw it as. Maybe it's gold. Maybe it's white and gold. 
or blue and black. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, it was definitely a green dress. Okay. okay. But nonetheless, oh, yes. So he, um, there is Demelza. And, you know, this is forbidden love that, yeah. you know, that he, you know, that Ross Poldark really thinks that, you know, he doesn't want to take advantage of her. And, uh, you know, he just, you know, he goes to his room, Leon, because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to give in to his emotions. But she desires. comes after him because she she's uh, she's feeling worried because her father has shown up and said, I'm going to take you back. I found God. I've married a nice woman. We want you back in our lives. Don't you know what everyone's saying about you? I can't have this. You need to be home with me. Demelza does not want to go home with her father. Her father gives her 24 hours to set it right with Poldark. And she sets it right with Poldark, doesn't she? She sets it right, Liam. <laughs> It's good. Again, more good dating tricks. Put on a dress with a really tight corset and then go, oh my gosh, I can't get out of it. Could you help me? I replayed that uh, unlacing scene twice, Liam, because that was amazing. amazing. If you want to see how to unlace a dress, Ross Poldark is your man. Okay. So needless to say, productivity in the field plummets the day after they sleep together. I mean, Melza, who has previously single-handedly cleared fields, is now just lying in the grass thinking about Ross with no clothes on. Yes. And really, who can blame her? I mean, really. Yes. So. <laughs> but here's then, a scene that I, that I just didn't see coming, Liam. I mean, so that the love affair, that was expected because right. you, could, you could sense there was a chemistry between them, you know, a spark uh, that uh, and, and Demelza just kept getting more and more beautiful in each scene. So yes. It's irresistible. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but I didn't see what happened, what happened next coming at all. Yeah. So what happens next is he, he marries her, right? I mean, you know, he, he takes her to the preacher and they get married. Right. With Mr. And Mrs. Drunk (laughs) as, as, as the the maid of honor or the maiden of honor. Right. And the best man. They were there again, yeah. with, their, with their heads on the pew, Leanna, pretty much. Even even completely hungover, you could see they weren't too sure about this union. Like, what is he doing? Right. They did manage to emote that much <laughs> before they passed out uh, in the church. So, so here we go. I mean, I, I think that's an action-packed episode. We had a new baby. We had a court scene. We had slow-motion scything. We had unlacing of a dress and then we had a big marriage at the end of the episode that's in a single hour people yeah so it's clear now from the previews that uh now they're going to face some issues as um you know the landed gentry marrying um the cook yes (laughs) basically marrying you know bewitched i mean because she she just she could foresee anything that ross poldark wanted (laughs) and just you need French brandy? Here it is. I, even before you thought you wanted French brandy, I have it for you. You need a girl in a green dress? I'm here, you know? <laughs> so I'm looking forward to it, Leanne. This is, this, is, uh, this is an excellent series. It's not too late to get involved. Uh, you know, it's on PBS or it's online, so there's no excuse not to watch it. And just join in the fun. There's no excuse not to watch it. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I cannot wait till next week. I think it's going to be very interesting, very interesting. And, um, you know, there are some good Vine videos out there of various (laughs) scenes. Should you want to just take a look? Not that I've done that. But just in case, in case you want to follow up. All right. Uh, we are the Satellite Sisters. That wraps it up for us today. Remember, you can always find us at SatelliteSisters.com. Uh, Julie, what is your Twitter handle? Uh, I believe. Okay. I don't know. Okay. It's a poor That's, job. It's a poor handle. So, I know. I know. I will get back to you on that. As our sister Sheila would say, I'll get back to you on that, Lynn. Okay. Right. I have a Twitter handle. I just, I can't recall it. Yeah. Okay. Never mind then. Mine is at Leanne Dolan, L-I-A-N-D-O-L-A-N. You can also find us at Sat Sisters. Julie, guess what I've been doing? In- no. Instagramming. I have oh. been Instagramming. Yep. Oh, okay. Well, I'll follow you. I, I, what's your Instagram handle? Leanne Dolan. I just, <laughs> that's my name. <laughs> 
so <laughs> tricky. So we also have a uh, Sat Sisters Instagram too. We're 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 working on that in advance of the book. We're sort of getting on Instagram, and once you figure it out, it's pretty addictive. I can see it. It's uh, I'm just <laughs> you just take photos and post them. It's pretty great. And uh, so and I was so touched. Speaking of photos, all the photos of the blueberry muffins didn't that oh, make you happy on oh, Facebook from our mom's really, recipe? It was very is- touching. Yeah. Very, very nice. And we hope that you enjoyed all your blueberry muffins. Yeah, they were so delicious. I know mine were. So I'm sure everyone else's were just as good. They are such straightforward, excellent blueberry muffins. You can find the recipe at SatelliteSisters.com. It's not too late to get in on the blueberry muffins either. All right. We're the sisters. I know Nana needs to go back to her counselor duties. (laughs) Uh, So don't forget, call your satellite sister.